0: in the longest series that we've ever embarked upon together which is just incredible and i'm going to have you turn in your bibles today to the story chapter 439 or if you have a standard bible this morning you're going to turn to acts chapter 20 verse 17 and following have you ever had that experience in your christian life and and something happens a hardship something something awful And you just look at somebody who is also a Christian you go, this cannot be God's will. This cannot be what God intended. I don't know how we're going to get out of this jam. I don't know what we're going to do with this situation. But this cannot be what we're supposed to be doing here. I shared a story a number of months ago from a good missionary friend of mine. And he had an entire group of people who... Uh, took time during their summer break, took time and the money that, that it, it would cost to, to go over to the African nation in which he was ministering and they were all going to evangelize and share the good news of Jesus with different villages there and they needed their two buses to work and one of the buses broke down. And you think to yourself, well, well, well we've, we've come halfway across the world, we've given our time, we've given our treasure, we're trying to give our talent and the bus is broken down. And then if you remember parts of this story, they decided that half the team would stay put and work in the local school and local orphanage, the rest would go out and do evangelism and on their way they got stuck in the deepest mud pit that has ever been seen. These things happen, don't they? Uh, of the three missions trips that I've gone on, I remember one where we had missionaries that decided that we weren't godly enough and we pretty much got kicked out of their house. That was pretty bad, you yeah. know. I remember another time where they left me in a village. You've heard the story overnight where I spoke none of the language, and I thought the locals might just arrest me. (laughs) And the third time, I I had some students that had way too many tacos and a lot too much work and ended up uh, in the hospital. And you say, God, this can't be your will, because now that I'm a Christian, now that I'm working for you, it should be sunshine and daisies, right? Things should be easy. And you meet different types of Christians, don't you? You meet the Christians that it is all sunshine and daisies, you know. They'll smile at you. Yeah, my leg just fell off, praise the Lord. Everything's good. <laughs> you're like, what the heck? Your leg fell off, you know. You're allowed to mourn. There is a book in the Bible called Lamentations. Maybe you should read it right now, but they, they're all sunshine and daisies. And then you meet the other ones that you just hope you never have to have lunch with in your entire life because they operate in so much despair and suffering and whether they're suffering or not, they think they're suffering for Jesus, and there's just this, this, this dichotomy sometimes among God's people, and the question we want to answer today, through the life of Paul, this gentleman we met last week who became the great theologian of the church, the great missionary to the Gentiles, is how are we supposed to understand hardships and struggles and the things that we go through in this life? What, what should it look like as New Testament Christians, those who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, those who have received uh, salvation, those who are expecting resurrection from the dead, those of us who, who know we have a God that loves us, what should it look like and how should we perceive what we're engaged in as followers of Jesus Christ? So what I'm going to do with you today is do a two-part thing. We're going to go ahead and look at the history of what's taking place in Paul's life to answer this question of what should it look like, but then we're going to turn to the theology. So we're going to start in Acts today, but then we are going to read in the book of Ephesians in real time what he was writing to the church of Ephesus during the time that all these things are going on. And hopefully by the end of our time together today, we'll have a clear picture of what hardship really means and what life really looks like in faith. With Jesus Christ. Are you in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, page 439 of the story? I think this week's title is Paul's Final Days. Well, let's see what they are marked by. It says in verse 17 of Acts 20, from Miletus, I don't expect you to know where Miletus is, it's okay. Paul sent to Ephesus for elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, Guys, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came to the province of Asia. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Well, that doesn't look very rosy. I mean, he pulls together the leaders of Ephesus, one of his most famous churches, perhaps Besides the Church of Antioch, perhaps one of the greatest places for the ancient Christian Church was Ephesus. Ephesus and Antioch; those were the churches that that did great in the ancient world. Into the 100s, and 200s, and 300s BC, it was a stronghold of Christianity. And he looks at them and he goes, "Yeah, working here was tough. I was there. Was many tears. I was opposed the whole time I was here." And you guys are my good friends, I love you all, Ephesus is are, are great people there in Ephesus, love you guys, but I'm going to Jerusalem now and I'm calling you here because if you're, if you're catching what Paul's throwing, he doesn't think he'll be returning. He doesn't think his life is going to end in a way that he's going to choose. None of us have a way to, to have it end where we're going to choose, but I think Paul's, Paul's insinuating that it might end prematurely. And he goes on to say, everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit warns me it's going to be tough. This is not what you want or expect from one of the heroes of the Bible, is it? This is not the way the novel is supposed to end. This should not be the end of his story. We want things tied up in a nice little package. We want to hear something like this. And the Apostle Paul went from church to church ministering to people from that day forward. And when he reached a ripe old age, he retired to an inn in Ephesus where he smoked his pipe and shared stories of God's goodness with all the hobbits and fellow travelers. That's what you want to hear. You want to tie it up in a bow. You you want Paul to, to have enjoyed the fruits of his labor because he suffered so much for God. And Paul says, I'm getting to the end of my life and I feel like more suffering awaits me. And as you read chapter 30 of the story this week, you'll see that there's a lot of hardship that awaits Paul. What ends up happening is he goes back to Jerusalem, and he begins to meet with the leaders of the church, and he goes up to the temple, which is so meaningful to him. But when he goes up to the temple, some people that recognize him as the missionary to the Gentiles, they see him. And they stir up a riot right there, saying, this is the guy who's trying to get the Gentiles into into the faith. This is the guy who we, we think is our main opponent. And they stir up a riot within the temple courts, and they literally are going to kill Paul, except that the Romans own Jerusalem. And here it is, the Roman cohort that comes and saves Paul's life. And they pull him out of this riotous crowd. But before he goes into the Roman fort, he looks at the leader of the Roman court and says, can I say something to them? He goes, I guess. He turns around and he gets to preach to the people of Jerusalem. He gets to preach to the people who are about to kill him. The next day, he has to stand trial before the Sanhedrin. You know those guys, the ones who arranged for the death of Jesus the ones who had imprisoned Peter and Peter and John on two different occasions, that Sanhedrin, he, 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 has to, uh, he has to stand trial before them the next day. And guess what? He gets to preach to them too. He gets to preach to them too. So much so that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we're not going to explain the difference today, start fighting because Paul starts winning the Pharisees over. He was pretty persuasive. I would have loved to see this guy preach. I have no doubt that I would have given all the money in my wallet and the offering and been on my face on the altar by the end of each service. That's, that is the type of, of, of powerful ministry this guy has, but it's not over there. We find out that there's a plot to kill Paul the minute he leaves the Roman fort. The Romans have to transport him by night to the city of Caesarea just to save his life, and he has to stay imprisoned because the Romans don't want any more riots because Paul has been released, so they keep him in prison for years with no charges against him. He's done nothing of of any import against the Roman government, and they leave him in prison for years. This is what Paul said when he looks to the Ephesians and says, I know that it's going to get harder from here. Except that during his years of imprisonment, Paul got brought up between the new order every time a new order came into town, and he was able to preach to two Roman governors and one Israelite king. They then sent him to Rome, and here's the, here's the, here, here, here is the, one of the saddest jokes of the entire New Testament. Paul would have been released by the last governor except that he had already appealed to go to Caesar's court as a Roman citizen. He had already appealed to say, I want to I stand trial before the emperor, and because he had, he had to remain in prison even with no charges against him, and he's transported to Rome, and of course he's shipwrecked on the way there because he's Paul when he gets to Rome, it says he gets put under house arrest, not in a dungeon. And the Jewish leaders would come and go, and he'd get to try to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. And we find out in another part of the New Testament, even those within the emperor's household were getting saved through the ministry of Paul. So we have this picture forming, don't we? Of someone who is enduring incredible hardship. Nothing's going right. I'm sure Paul would have rather not been a prisoner. I'm sure Paul would have liked to go where he wanted to go. I'm sure Paul would not have liked to have two plots against his life and get shipwrecked. I'm sure Paul would have liked to walk the streets of Rome and not be under house arrest. I'm sure Paul would have liked it to happen a different way. But if we go back to what Paul's aim was, in verse 24 of chapter 20, he says... My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Even in spite of the hardships, had Paul achieved his aim Did he get to preach to the people of Jerusalem? Did he get to preach to the Sanhedrin? Did he get to preach to two governors and a king? Did he get to preach to the leaders of the Roman church? Did he get to preach to the emperor's household? And the answer is yes. So of course we would expect after all of these hardships the fact that we should find some depressed but, 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 but somehow begrudgingly happy Paul depressed that he has faced all this hardship and he is still in prison, depressed that everything's gone wrong, but at least he got to preach a little bit. And that's why we get to turn now to the book of Ephesians to see the mood that Paul was in after all of that happened to him. Page 453 in the story, Ephesians chapter 2, for those of you who are in a standard Bible. You see, Paul wrote a letter from Rome back to the Ephesians where he said, hardship and trial is going to follow me. He gets to write to these people. He says in this letter, I'm going to send Tycheus to let you know how I'm doing, but in the meantime, this is my hope for you. Look at chapter 1 of Ephesians, chapter 17, or verses 17 and following, and I might have a misprint. That says 2. That should be 1 up on the PowerPoint screen today. It's chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking, this is what he says to the Ephesians, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Yeah, Paul's depressed. Paul's down. He's down and out. He has had nothing but hardship after hardship after hardship He languished in prison for two years, so he got to preach three times. But Paul is not defeated. He's not down. He's not depressed. And he says, you want to know? He doesn't say you want to know why. This is my you want to know why. You want to know why? He goes, I pray that you get to know God for who he really is, because I do now. I know God for who he really is. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you can have a full knowledge and a wisdom, know who God is because I know him now, I know him I know this God that we serve I want you to know him the way that I know him this isn't going to come up on the, on the PowerPoint screen today because I, it, this just occurred to me as I read this in, in the last bit of my studying here he is so excited that these people would get to know God even better that's what he wants for them God is awesome, he is good, he is loving, and I hope that you get to see him for who he is. And by the way, that's what God has done in our life. That's what he says to the Ephesians. He has called you to hope. That's what this Christian life should look like. That's what things should look like. That's a a difference between the, the sunshine and daisies and the despair and the suffering. God has called you to hope. That's what I'm after for you ephesians and that's where i'm living today not hope in my circumstances because there was no reason to hope in his circumstances was there he very well could have been facing the executioner at any day no hope in his circumstances his hope was in god and who god is because he had seen god on display He says, I hope that that you'll operate in this hope to which he has called you. And he says, I hope that you will understand the true riches of your inheritance. The true riches of what it means to be God's people. Not only are God's people called to hope, but they're called to true riches that's in their inheritance. And what have we inherited? You say, yes, we've inherited eternal life. But Paul is talking about something very real and very temporal right at that moment. He's saying, I want you to know right now the inheritance that you have. And what is that inheritance? Well, he's already explained a little bit of it here in in verses 17 and 18. The inheritance that they have is that they know God. What's the greatest gift that God could give any of us? Is it health? Wealth? Freedom from hardship? The greatest gift that God could give any of us is himself. You have the inheritance of knowing God. The God who created you. Not only that, but you have a calling, says Paul. You have a calling in this life. The hope to which he has called you. God called you with a purpose. We find out in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, just what that calling means. It's one of our favorite verses to quote here at Victory Life. That calling is so clear because it says, you are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. That's your inheritance. Your inheritance is that not only do you get to know God, but you get to know why you're here and what you're doing in this life with God. So Paul can look at all the circumstances of his life and go, I have hope because I know who God is. I, I have true riches because I get to do what God has called me to do. I have hope in who God is. I have true riches because I'm getting to do what God has called me to do in this life. And therefore, I want you Ephesians to know his power. Now that's an interesting statement because Paul's in chains. He says, I want you to know his power. How do we experience that power that Paul wants us to know? Is it through circumstance? obviously Paul's circumstances weren't optimal, but oftentimes in the Christian life, we want to see God's power displayed, and let's be real, and let's be honest, because we're human beings. A lot of times, we would love God's power to be displayed merely in our health. God, we want to feel good. We don't want to have ailments. We don't want to have things that, 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 that we suffer from. Would you display your power? In the ailments. What's interesting about the life of Paul is he said, I have a thorn in the flesh. I've asked God to remove it numerous times, and he won't. Paul had like walked by people and seen them healed just when his shadow was upon them, right? He had seen people healed miraculously, but he didn't get healed. Yet Paul says, I want to see your power displayed, God. Paul was not a TV preacher, he was not rolling in dough. Paul, Paul, I'm a TV preacher now, isn't this great? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you to the 12 of you who subscribe to our YouTube channel. Now, I, I, Paul didn't have wealth. You know how Paul, Paul paid for his ministry? He was a leather worker. He said Paul studied under, under Gamaliel. He was, a, he was a scholar. He's the theologian of the, of, of, of the New Testament church. You're telling me that he was a leather worker to help support his ministry? Yes, he was. Paul never had wealth. He never had health. And he didn't have a real good run of circumstances either, did he? So how could he say that the power of God had been displayed and he wants them to know it? Because his only aim was to fulfill his calling. And his calling was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no matter what happened to him, he got to. He knew that his real inheritance was not health, it was not wealth, and it was not freedom from hardship. His real inheritance was his calling from the Lord. And if he operated in that calling, he could have joy. If he operated in that calling, he could have peace. And if he operated in that calling, he could see the power of God displayed. How else was Paul going to get to preach to two governors and a king? How else was he going to get a crowd that didn't kill him unless he was already in Roman custody on that day in Jerusalem? How else was he going to get to preach to the household of the emperor if he wasn't in chains in Rome? He even said in the book of Romans, I wish I could get to you guys, but I just can't. How else was Paul going to achieve God's aims for him unless he had suffered the hardships that he did? and seen the power of God displayed in and through them. Paul knew the power of God, and that's why he said that power is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And by the way, Christ is reigning at the right hand of God forevermore, right now. And he is over every authority, every ruler, every power, every dominion. And you know how I know that? Because of the last four years of my life. Because no matter what they do to me, he wins. No matter what happens, no matter what seems unfavorable to me, God's will will out. And I have seen over and over again in my life, That God's will and God's kingdom will come if I remain submitted to him and operating in his will regardless of the circumstances or the hardships. And here's the best thing he says here in Ephesians. He says that God right now is over every power, every authority, every dominion. Just just put another adjective up there. Put another noun up there. You can can put it up there. God is over them. And listen to how he puts it. He doesn't put it in the age to come and, and also in the present age. No, he reverses them. He says, God's the boss right now. Oh, and also in eternity. Eternity comes second for Paul because he's seen God's power displayed today. Regardless of who's on the throne, regardless of who's in the White House, some of you Trump people, some of you Obama people, I don't care. He's over both of them. His kingdom come, and his will be done, regardless of who's in authority. It doesn't matter who's in the Kremlin. It doesn't matter who's in Parliament. It doesn't matter who's the chief of police. God's kingdom is advancing. And if you want to see his power displayed, you must be operating in a realm that says, my inheritance is my calling. I'm going to walk in that calling and I'm going to trust that I'm going to see the Lord's power displayed and his authority on display. That's what the Christian walk should look like. Not that we are free from hardships. That day is going to come, folks. The resurrected king is going to resurrect you. There will be a day when there's no more night, no more tears, no more pain. But we are in the interlude today and the interlude is about getting people saved. Getting people connected to the kingdom of God, getting people connected to who Jesus is and what what he's trying to do in their life, that's our job right now. And with that task is going to come hardship. But in that task, we will see the power of God displayed. That's why people like Paul can be so joyous, because he's seen who God is, and he sees that God wins every time. So here's the questions for you today. Pastor Matt, are you inviting me to embrace pain and suffering? That's a tough question. I am not theology of suffering guy. I have to be honest. There's a a whole realm of theological study when when you go to seminary all about the theology of suffering. And I have to tell you, I find too much joy and hope in the Lord to focus on suffering. I'm not theology of suffering guy and it's not what I want to call our church to but I do want to say this if the possibility of you suffering resulted in more people joining the kingdom of God would it be worth it? It's a question. are we 21st century American First World Problems Christians, are we currently engaged in the idea that we would be willing to suffer if it meant more people knowing Jesus? Are you conditioned that way today? Because that takes some time. That takes some faith. That takes some stepping out. And that takes some some gut punches. When you get punched in the gut, but you stay in the ring for Jesus. It takes a little bit of that. Are you there today? let's, Let's just take away this fourth wall for a minute. I'm just talking to you. You, me, and the Holy Spirit. Are you there today where you would say, I would be open if hardship and suffering came for the cause of Christ, to go, okay, it's worth it because my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that God has given me. And perhaps a good barometer, a good gauge of this for us this morning, for each one of us, is to just ask a simple question. When was the last time we crossed the pain line for our faith? where it was painful for us to do what God called us to do. We're past whether or not it's convenient. We're all the way to if it was painful. When was the last time? Because I believe if we're reading the scriptures right this morning, if we want to see the power of God on display, it's going to take sacrifice. Jesus said to a group of people who were pursuing him the week before his death, at the height of his popularity, he had just entered Jerusalem with crowds screaming his name. He said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will produce fruit one hundredfold. The way of the cause of the kingdom Hear this. The way of the cause of the kingdom oftentimes comes through sacrifice. So I ask you today not to be a miserable, angry, depressed, suffering Christian, nor would I ask you to take pain and go, yes, that was fun. But I ask you, would you like to see the power of God on display? And are you willing to cross the pain line to get there? Those folks who got stuck in the mud got off the bus. And they tried to push and push and push, and the bus would not move. But they saw in the distance a village. And since it was going to be days before that bus could be extricated, they decided to go cross country. And they shared the good news of Jesus Christ in a village that had never heard it. And dozens came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Can we pursue seeing God's power on display? And are we willing to cross over to where it might cost us a little more than it costs us today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know what you're doing in individuals today, but I trust you're doing something in many people in this room. God, for the ones who are newer to faith in Jesus Christ, they're already tasting and seeing that this thing is good because they have hope and they have peace and they have assurance. And as you get control of their lives, things do get better. Your word is perfect and it's true. And a relationship with Jesus is such a gift Lord, we thank you for those who are new in faith today and they are celebrating all the good things that, it, that comes with knowing you. But I feel like there is also a stirring among us today for some who perhaps have been insulating ourselves against hardship and pain wanted to see your power on displayed in our finances or our health or our lack of hardships instead of perhaps lord asking what you are trying to do in our lives through those things and asking god could you use me in spite or because of what i face are you trying to call me to something greater and deeper This is such a personal message for so many. I hesitate to engage in any large outward displays today. I feel like if we do, it, it, it could be perceived in a certain way. But perhaps just for a moment before we pray, if God is speaking to your heart and saying, are you willing, are you willing, are you willing one step further than where you are today are you willing to sacrifice for me and my kingdom are you willing to do whatever it takes to see people come to faith in my son if that's you today and you want to be willing more than you are at 10 15 this morning more than you were half an hour ago you just want to be more willing even if it means crossing the pain line for God you just take your two palms and turn them towards heaven. Say, God, I'm willing. God, I'm willing. I'm willing. God, it's a hard thing that we do today because we want to enjoy this gift of life that you've given us. And oftentimes we believe that to do so, we must have enough money, have enough health, have a certain tolerance for hardship, and if some threshold is crossed, that life cannot be sweet. But Lord, as you are people today, with maturity and resolve, we're saying to you, God, we are open to going further in our relationship with you even if it costs us more. We're willing, God. We want to be willing. Teach us to be willing. To do hard things if it means advancing your kingdom. Allow us to be willing to sacrifice if it means more people who know Jesus. Allow us, Lord, some of us, to take radical steps of faith in you. Because we know that you are the boss. You're on the throne today. And you'll do amazing things in and through us. God, we don't want to experience pain. But, Lord, we want to experience you. So, Lord, we pray that you'd be evident in our lives. Lord, we pray that in the next hardship we face, we could ask the question, Lord, what do you want? What can I do? Help me to complete the task and finish my race for you, Lord Jesus, for it is my only aim. We pray these things today in Jesus' name and all God's people said.